Welcome back to the Rob Mater Show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's good to be with you again. Uh, we've had some great shows the last few weeks, uh, and this one's just the same. It's called The War Journal, a warrior story about surviving the most agonizing pain imaginable. Quote, in combat you can fight, you know your enemy, and you have the training, skills, and equipment to eliminate threats to yourself or your teammates who are your family, close quote. After we leave military service and move on with our lives, we face an evolving world and situations for which most of us are not trained to fight and survive in. That's the realization that many combat veterans deal with daily, even as we're under the stresses of our past, a condition also known as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. My guest this week is releasing his new book, The War Journal, in a in just a few days, it, it is his combat veteran's story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jim Sisko is the CEO of Enoto Global Incorporated, specializing in surveilling, analyzing, assessing, and messaging about risk in the 21st century world that we inhabit these days. Jim, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show, my friend. If I can get this switch thrown here, you'll be in. Outstanding. Good to see you, brother. You also. Good to be back. Hey, I'm excited. I was excited to hear about the book. Uh, uh, we've known each other uh, quite a few years now and worked together. And, uh, uh, and I've always known you, you, there was a lot more to you under the surface than uh, a lot of people realized. And so uh, I'm very excited to get you on to talk about the book and, uh, and its upcoming publication on what, uh, March uh, or February 24th. So uh, not very long from now. And uh, we will get the stuff out there, promote it, and all of those kinds of things as we do it. Uh, but I got a question for you, man. Uh, why'd you keep a journal in the first place in your deployment? Uh, I have no idea. So, quite honestly, uh, I got a you know, you know how you're on deployment. Uh, I got a care package from uh, from a friend of mine, and in the care package, you know, typical stuff: beef jerky, foot powder you know, baby wipes. And, uh, and it, there was a journal. It was a, it was a black, uh, book. And, uh, in the, in the, in the note, in the uh, care package, uh, it said, do me a favor. And can you please write in the journal? So when you come home, I can see the world through your eyes. And I was like, and there was the, the black book and the pen and, uh, I got it right before Christmas. So my first journal entry was on Christmas day. And for me, it was, uh, it was just something I did, you know, it was kind of like a promise to a friend and, uh, there was no rhyme or reason to it, not a lot of thought put into it. I just would write, you know, when, when it was appropriate. So this Christmas was the Christmas before the kickoff of Operation Desert Storm in January of the yeah, following year? So we, we, uh, arrived in theater in, uh, November. And uh, we had been there for, uh, yeah, so it was the, the Christmas before the kickoff of the war. Yeah, so where were you located when you started writing in the journal? Uh, right, uh, I think we were in Camp 15. There was like a, there was a, a big uh, base where uh, a lot of, uh, you know, staging area where all the troops are located. Uh, we were still at Camp 15 uh, when I received the care package and started journaling. And shortly after uh, Christmas, we started to uh, move forward and we established forward operating bases, uh, which we talk about in the book. Uh, mm -hmm. We, we didn't maintain one position. We, we moved frequently, which, uh, which created some uh, challenges, uh, so put it mildly. 
Uh, there were quite a few challenges with that war. Uh, as a matter of fact, my, my first war was uh, was actually uh, Operation Just Cause in Panama uh, the December prior to that, I think, if I, my timeline is still fresh in my head here. Uh, it, uh, and then we all got involved in the, the Desert Shield piece of this starting in August, uh, and we're doing all kinds of things. And uh, uh, But then it seemed that to be like a, everything got in place and everybody settled down to a routine and then bam operation desert storm under general schwarzkopf did you ever meet schwarzkopf while you were there no uh yeah we were always forward deployed so uh the times that he came and visited we were we were out uh you know out forward so never never really had the uh, opportunity to go back uh and, and hang out for a prolonged period of times uh, back in the back in the rear with the gear yeah, because uh, were you force recon in the Marines? Uh, I was recon battalion uh, at the okay. time. Is it was before they had uh, uh, Marsoc, and uh, we had recon battalion, and force recon was just being stood up. Okay, uh, so you were really, really at the the uh, the beyond the front. You guys were doing ISR intelligence surveillance reconnaissance before the fight started. Uh, so you were really out there, right? So we were off the northwest border of uh, of Kuwait, and we moved, you know, every day or two. Um, yeah. We did a couple missions inside uh, inside uh, Kuwait before the ground war started, uh, a couple days before the uh, ground invasion. What was that like? Uh, it was uh, <laughs> a logistic nightmare in a way, <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, some of the missions kind of uh, really weren't suited for uh, for recon, um, mm-hmm. so there were a lot of challenges. And, and you know, I talk about in the you know, in the book about some of the challenges that we faced and how not you know. And I say this in the opening, you know, we hadn't fought a war in the desert uh, since World War II, and the last right. war that we you know fought in the Marines was uh, in Vietnam. And then the last real engagement we had was Beirut. So we had, you know, a, a you know, sour taste in our mouth for Beirut. You know, we were uh, not prepared to fight in a desert environment. And if you think about reconnaissance and our traditional missions, and then you try to put us into a desert environment where it's very fast paced, very fluid, dynamic environment, you know, in Humvees, you know, across large open areas really wasn't suited for, you know, our, our typical mission set. So, uh, it, it was, it was very challenging. Yeah, it was challenging for everybody, man. I remember at the kickoff of desert shield, we got a call to take three KC one thirty five A's to, uh, a base in the Northwest to pick up a whole security forces group, which is like the air forces infantry, uh, you know, and, uh, those aircraft, the eight models, uh, weren't designed really to carry large amounts of troops and their equipment that they needed to get there. <laughs> but, you know, we sent bombers and fighters over to Riyadh and, uh, and Jeddah, uh, without taking any security with them right off the get go. <laughs> so, uh, everybody just, uh, sucked it up and said, well, we got to get this done. Uh, and uh, I think that's the way the whole, whole thing was. Uh, and then when the combat operations kicked off, the planning was, was pretty well done and, uh, execution went, went pretty, uh, uh, went really well for the air, from the air force's perspective. And, uh, I think they did a pretty good job of prepping the battlefield for you guys. So you kept a journal, uh, and now we're going to publish it. 
uh, why after 30 years, it's been 30 plus years, uh, sh- should you publish it now? If you've kept it private all this time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and, and let me answer, but you know, just <laughs> truthfully. So when I got out of uh, the Marine Corps, you know, it was right after Desert Storm. I, ca- I came back from Desert Storm. Uh, seven days later, I was out of the Marine Corps. And, uh, and I went to college, uh, went through the PLC program. I had intentions of going back in the Marine Corps. And uh, it didn't work out for whatever reasons, and I joined the Navy. I look back now and, and what happened in Desert Storm, I really wasn't mature enough. I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, old enough to understand what happened to me and how it really impacted me. And I just chose to ignore a lot of the things that happened. It was very uh, traumatic, some of the things that occurred. And, uh, and instead of learning from those, I kind of just put them – put them in a compartment and threw them, you know, in the shelf. And I did the same thing with the journal. You know, it, it went into, uh, you know, you, you know how when you come back from deployment, you have your, your mm-hmm. military things, you throw them in a, in a box, you know, and they sit for years and then you unpack them and you look at them, you th- put them on a bookshelf. And, and that's what happened with the war journal. And the reason that I, uh, you know, actually read the war journal was, um, uh, you know, I've shared with a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I'm kind of private, but, you know, I went through a divorce and going through a custody battle with, uh, you know, to see my kids. And uh, as part of that, um, I had to go through a psychological evaluation. I had to take a parenting course. I had to go through anger management training. And as part of the anger management training, um, you know, I talked to a therapist and He's like, hey, have you ever journaled? You know, we suggest journaling. And, our, and, and it was funny. You know, I went back that night and I was going through the bookshelf and I pulled the journal, uh, the war journal, you know, off the bookshelf. And I, I sat down and I just started reading it. I read the entire thing, you know, from cover to cover. And, uh, you know, I got done and, and uh, you know, I was really, you know, I was overcome by like uh, my emotions and some of the things because I had forgotten all of that. And I, I you know, put it away. And mm-hmm. uh, so... What happened next was a friend of mine, you know, I, I went to a friend of mine and he does all our graphics design work. He transcribed everything word for word and then he put it into a PDF and he put some pictures on it and he made it look really pretty for me. And uh, so I was doing a podcast uh, about my situation and the, uh, the host of the podcast, you know, it came up in the podcast and I sent it to her and she sent it to a publicist and the publicist got back to me, uh, you know, really quickly and said, you have a number one bestseller. And, you know, I, I was just like, no, nah, okay, whatever, you know, great. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. That's, and, that's big words. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, we started work on it. And six months later, you know, we finished the, the book a couple of weeks ago and uh, it'll be out for publication uh, next week. And, and that's kind of the story behind it. That's fantastic, man. You know, uh, I think that all of the lessons learned about warfare really have not come from historians and those kind of folks. It's from the people on the battlefield that experienced that, uh, being able to write about it. So I really admire that. Uh, I've had a long-term goal of writing my own book, but I just haven't been able to do it, you know. Uh, so it takes special talent to be able to realize that it should be done uh, and then have the wherewithal to go ahead and, and get it done. 
what do you want people to, uh, what value do you want folks to get out of this book that you're putting out? Yeah, before I answer that, I want to just say one thing. I don't want people to think this book is, you know, the typical war genre book. You know, there I was, killing people and shooting people. I mean, everyone knows, everyone who knows about Desert Storm, it was 72 hours, you know, 96 hours at the most. So it wasn't a lot of combat. The book really talks about, um, you know, how Desert Storm was different than the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that we're, we're used to now. It really talks about, you know, you, you got to think this is back in the 1990s. There's no cell phones and Internet. Um, you know, the way war is fought now, you know, I did three tours in Afghanistan. You go out on a patrol and then you come back at night and you sit in your 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 air conditioned uh you know, two man room and you can get on the internet and, you know, FaceTime your, your girlfriend or wife or significant other, you know, back then, you know, we had a phone center and, you know, it was a line usually like a two, you know, mile long and two hours you had to wait and uh, just to get a phone call home. Yeah. (laughs) And there was no uh, green bean coffee shop and, uh, you know, massage parlors and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the the modern conveniences of you know wait a minute that. i didn't see any massage parlors when i was deployed in the desert come on really are you, After, are you Bagram, blowing Bagram, smoke no bagram air force base and then on isaf <laughs> on isaf headquarters uh in kabul there was a there was a 24-hour uh massage parlor and they had like six uh women from Kyrgyzstan doing massages all the time so anyway so the book isn't the, the typical like uh, war book talking about tactics or talking about operational uh, things. It's really talking about the environment that we lived in, the, the stresses of, you know, of uh, constant moving. And going back to what you said, from the Air Force perspective, at the strategic and operational level, everything worked perfect. You know, from my perspective on the ground, it was a clusterfuck at the tactical level. The operational level was, you know, not that great. But at the strategic level, it was, it was really good. There was a great plan, um, and, and that executed well. But at the operational and tactical levels, it was FUBAR. So when you look at the book, and, you, and, and, you, and, and from my perspective, I'm talking about all these things, and then specific events that occurred while I was deployed that had a very significant impact on, on my life, my identity, my development, and how those events shaped my future. I made some really bad mistakes in my life and I can admit to those. And if I had learned from the war journal and those critical lessons that I had experienced when I was younger and brought those forth in my life, I probably wouldn't have made those mistakes. Not that I regret the things I've done, but it's a learning experience. And I wrote the book because when I read the war journal, I was like, wow, if I had just taken these lessons and brought those forward in my life, I would have, you know, been in a better position in some ways. So yeah, that's and those, I, uh, uh, Jim, uh, let me interrupt you for just a second. Those lessons learned that I was talking about at the beginning of this conversation, mm-hmm. folks, are from the human perspective. War is a human endeavor. It's the most, it's the, it's the harshest thing that humans participate in. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, and it's, it's that, those lessons learned that I was talking about, not necessarily how you move on the battlefield and blah, blah, blah. So I'm agreeing with you there. Uh, I want to make sure people understand that. And FUBAR, if you haven't seen Saving Private Ryan, is effed up beyond all recognition. Uh, and, uh, 
uh, anyway, uh, so that's that is a great uh, uh, point, Jim. About if you'd only been able to bring those lessons learned throughout the rest of your life, as, you know, over the next thirty plus years, uh, maybe you wouldn't have made some of the mistakes you've made uh, beyond your military career. If I understood that correctly, right? Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. And and the other thing is, I've spoken with you know, I'm a very private individual when it comes to uh, certain things and, and really writing the war journal and publishing the war journal forced me to talk to other people and, and hear their stories. And, and when I shared like the intro to the war journal with them, the, you know, they connect on a personal level with my experiences. And, and it, it really is for me, the feedback that I've gotten so far is, is awesome because I'm not here to make a, you know, to be on Oprah Winfrey show and right. you know, be on the you know, New York Times bestseller list. If one person reads the war journal and it saves them from, you know, making similar mistake or it brings them out of a very dark period of their life or, uh, and they share it, that's my success. Yeah, it's, that's uh, the real reason why, you know, I wanted to particularly to get you on is, uh, you and I have worked together on suicide prevention among veterans. We know what the, how, how, uh, how big that issue continues to be. As a matter of fact, every single day, uh, you know, 22 a day uh, was a mantra for a long time. I think the government's saying something like 17, but if, when you talk to the average troop on the street, uh, they don't agree with that. They think it's still just as high as it's been since uh, since we first started working together on it several years ago. So uh, th- that's that's what makes this book particularly interesting. And the other thing is uh, that I get from it is, uh, and, I, and I'm not going to give the book away, but, but being able to apply those things to civilian life, uh, people that haven't been in, uh, uh, in, uh, in the military or in wars and those kind of things. And, uh, because, you know, the country's been through some, some traumatic things over the past few years, uh, not necessarily like, you know, shooting type stuff, but, but the population has been, had trauma induced upon them, uh, by the actions of even the government, uh, during the pandemic and everything. So I think this would be a useful, uh, story, uh, as you lay it out, you, you, you said that you, you, you talk about your journal entries, but then you provide the context and, uh, you know, and the human lessons that you get from that. And if somebody's reading this book, that's a non-military person, uh, today in our country, I think that might be helpful because, you know, we see things like suicide rates amongst the civilian population, I believe is increasing, especially amongst our young people, isn't it? It is. Um, and, and you bring a good point up. I didn't write this book just for, for uh, veterans or right. active duty military. You know, the life lessons um, are very broad um, but very powerful. You know, I talk about you know, faith and God and religion. I talk about love. And uh, you know, one of the things I say is you know, find a, a woman out there that you can love forever and never need another again. I talk about betrayal. I talk about friendship. I talk about uh, education. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer in education. And you know, one of the things I wrote in the war journal, and you think about this, you have this 20-year-old, raw, angry, uh, immature Marine who is uh, in special forces, and all I want to do is you know, fight and kill people. And I'm writing things that, when I look back, these were 
the wisdom in, in, you know, in the writing was of a man who had lived an entire life, in, but yet it was raw and it was you know, not sophisticated. And, and when I read it, I was like, wow. You know, when I wrote about education, I said, seek education because it can never be taken away from you. You know, and, and things like that. And then when you read it, you know, 30 years later, you're like, wow, that was pretty amazing. You know, and, and coming from a person who, when I grew up, you know, my father, you know, and I don't want to be like play the card. Oh, I was abused or this and that. So many people do that. But he was very abusive uh, verbally, physically, mm-hmm. never, never laid a hand. I mean, aside from the typical strap or wooden spoon, you know, growing up as a child. But it yeah. wasn't physically abusive. But he was very uh, verbally abusive. He used to you know, you know, say, Hey, you, you're going to work on the back of a garbage truck. You're never going to amount to anything. You're stupid. And I brought that forward, you know, in, in, through my entire life. And, and finally, when I was in my graduate course, getting my master's degree, you know, and I, I didn't study, I was, you know, dating and flying around and didn't really care. You know, it was a kind of a weird point in my life. And, and the class valedictorian came up to me and said, Hey, Jim, you know, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, you're, one tenth of a point below me. I study all the time. And what, what, what is going on? I mean, you're always out drinking and having fun and partying. You never study. And it was at that point that I really, I realized, you know, I had been told all these things my entire life. And I, and I finally realized that I I was fairly intelligent. And, and these are kind of like, this is an example of the life lesson. And I talk about education, not like going to school, I mean, if you learn a trade, if you become a plumber or a carpenter, or if you read on your own, you know, just reading books on your own or watching YouTube videos, not, you know, to learn things, you know, that is what I you know, value in education. And part of that talks about faith. And, and some people are very uncomfortable talking about it. And some people wear it on their sleeves. And for me, I'm kind of private, but it also helped me understand you know, how to establish, you know, my relationship with God and, and, and faith, because I didn't have, I write in the war journal, one entry. And I write, thank you, God, for listening for once in my life, I thought I thought you were there. And, um, you know, there's very funny stories in the book, like we had a, a, a chaplain fly out to our forward operating base on a Sunday morning. And it was hilarious. He comes out in his camouflage, and he had his, you know, his, his, get up and we stack mm-hmm. MRE crates up and we, you know, make a little altar for him. And he just starts, you know, delivering this powerful speech about our righteous indignation to defeat the enemy and kill our, you know, uh, our enemy. And, you know, he, he gets done and gives some communion and takes a couple Hail Marys and bang out on the CH 46, you know, and that was, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Uh, d- didn't even offer to pray with you, huh? That's it. There you go. Give you uh, a, 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 our father, and 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 off he went. Yeah, it's uh, you know, twenty first century and twentieth century American. Uh, I call it religiosity. Uh, you know, it's different for everybody, but it, it's interesting that as a twenty year old, uh, you were even thinking about faith at all. You know that that entry is. Uh, is a is critically important from my perspective as the 20 year old jim is facing you know combat for his first time and uh, is bringing everything that makes him jim cisco uh to that fight uh and you actually take the time to a pray because you mentioned that in the write-up uh in the entry and then b to document it 
Uh, I mean, for somebody that's 20 years old, I don't think I would have been documenting uh, that kind of stuff, even though, you know, I, I grew up in, in church and am a Christian myself, but I just don't know if I would have been thinking that way. Uh, so it's very interesting. And I think, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's very powerful, as you said, uh, for somebody that's a non-military person to be reading about these kinds of things, because everybody deals with, with, uh, faith differently as you, as you mentioned and everything, but people should be more open to talk about it politely uh, not in an angry way, uh, and, uh, and challenge themselves, uh, to dig deeper. Uh, and I think you, di- I think that, that displays that you did that, man. The, uh, what are some of the other things that you, you want to talk about to, to tease people on the book, uh, a little bit more and why they should get this book and read it? Yeah, you know, and this is like when I thought about coming on the podcast, you know, how much do I, how much leg do I show? You know, I don't want to give away too much, but I want to be able to uh, entice people. And I look at it in two ways. There were some very uh, funny events that occurred. And uh, those events, and I'll tell one story in particular, and uh, kind of like why it's entertaining. But throughout the book, there's these these lessons that you continually are reinforced. And then to the end of the book, I just lay out the, you know, the five, you know, critical life lessons that I think are important. There was a lot of lessons learned there, but you know, I distill them into these five and excuse me, the one that I'll talk about, you know, on the podcast um, and, and the one that I think will resonate with the, with people the most is relationships and, and love and, and, uh, you know, for me, I was, uh, and this might be a little long, but I'll try and get through it quickly. I grew up in a divorced uh, family. My father had married three times. My mother was married four times. She was very flamboyant. I grew up and was raised by my father and his parents. So basically, my grandparents raised me. So I grew up without a mother figure in my life. And I never realized that until later on in life, that growing up with a, without a mother in my life had an impact on me. I really didn't know how to express my emotions. I didn't know how to interact with women in, like, in a relationship uh, way. And I really looked at women and, uh, you know, from seeing how my father interacted, very male chauvinistic, and, uh, and I formed my opinions and beliefs. So I didn't know how to have established relationships with women in, in, in the right way. And I didn't know how to communicate and I didn't know how to express my emotions. So what happened in Desert Storm was I was dating a, a woman before I went over to Desert Storm. And, and some of the things that happened in Desert Storm uh, made me realize, you know, how my interactions with women and uh, not that they were inappropriate, but how my relationships weren't weren't right. And I, I'll be very matter of fact, you know, I use women for pleasure. You know, um, I used intimacy and sex to satisfy this like void emotional void that I had and I could never really connect on a, a you know on an emotional level and it really wasn't in even during my marriage I never really had this emotional connection with my wife and uh, it wasn't until after uh, the divorce and uh, reading the war journal and actually dating a, a woman that I really experienced those things. And I look back now and I can say in, I have only felt love for a woman twice in my life and for with, with two women, which is a shame because I squandered so many 
great opportunities with wonderful women and you know and some of them are pissed off at me and some of them really who, the ones who know me like the woman who gave me the the war journal christy mitchell we're still friends today and i have other women friends who we have a great relationship and great friendship but that was one of the biggest things is understanding you know and coming to grips with you know my uh, emotions and being able to express them and being able to talk about them and how they relate vis-a-vis during uh, women. Yeah, and you mentioned in the in the introduction of the book that you you uh, you know you uh, you never dealt with issues from your childhood or your time in the military, uh, and that reviewing the journal and uh, and going through the process of writing the book that's helped you uh, decompartmentalize. Uh, those feelings and, and come to grips with that and make you a better man. Is that, is that an accurate description? Yeah. And uh, it wasn't easy. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, you know, you come from the special forces community where you don't talk about your feelings or your emotions. You're, you know, I, I describe myself, you know, in my younger years as, you know, hard as woodpecker lips, you know, uh, you used to have, you know, I was 180 pounds of, <laughs> of spring steel and sex appeal, totally Kevlar, you know, <laughs> And, you know, that, that gets ingrained into your identity and, and you don't, you know, even when I retired from the military, you know, and I've spoken with so many veterans and so many veterans from, uh, you know, the, the Gulf War time, nobody submitted a PT, a claim for PTSD. Watch the rest of this interview on Red Voice Media Premium using the link below. Completely uncensored and ad free. Not a member yet? Try it for $1.